It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganiello all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. Welcome to Road to Reality, a limited series where I, Kellen Bechtold, go on a conversational journey with fellow Survivor contestants about their real lives. In this 10-part series, we invite you to listen in on unscripted conversations that, crazy enough, aren't really about playing Survivor, but about being a person who was on Survivor. These are deep dive conversations, not into post-game strategy, but into the lives of contestants before and after Survivor and the experiences that shaped them into who they are today. So sit back, relax, and join me as we take a ride down the road to reality. Welcome to episode 10, the final episode of this limited series, Road to Reality. We have got a new school treat for you today from Survivor Season 42, our first veterinarian, our first Canadian, Omer Zahir. You catch up with Omer while he's just one year out. His season aired in the spring of 2022. We talk about where he sees himself along the path in comparison to those who have come before him on this podcast, what it's like in the near aftermath to be recognized by fans and interacting with the world while you're on national television. He became an exotic animal veterinarian in spite of familiar pressure to have a different career track. And he talks us through what that was like. Together, Omer and I worked through how being on Survivor changed our relationships with our families. And in general, how being on Survivor helped Omer reflect on his own identity and life path and why it's so important to know who you are before playing Survivor. I present to you the funny, empathetic, and shameless Omer Zahir. See, the reservation that I had was like, who would want to hear me? I was just on the show so the fact that you feel otherwise is like it's nice yeah i think um and the the concept of the podcast so far in case it's just new school people listening today because you're you're here um the concept of the podcast so far has been the before during and after of the survivor journey and and how that has played into people's life story. But one of the things that I feel like we've missed being able to tap into for people who've played three, five, you know, five, 10 years ago is what it feels like when you are in it. Yeah. And I'm curious, have you, cause you have listened to a few episodes when you hear some of the, um, previous players talking about being in it than being out of it what has that experience been like for you as someone who just aired a year ago yeah it's very interesting because i think that um i'm at the cusp of coming out of it too so like i can hear what you know players like um pg and kelly and adam have said about 
and Gabby about feeling like they were like really immersed in it and it almost becomes like a part of your identity. Like it really, like everything you think about, you know, you're going to these parties to see, you know, all these old contestants and new contestants and watching the show live, people still sometimes recognize you. And so you get pulled right back into it. when You're falling out of it. Like the other day I was in um, a consultation and I was just going about my business, talking to this person about their bird. And then they were like, wait a second. Like, she's like, I, 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 cause it was a recheck. So I'd already seen the bird. She came back. She's like, okay. So I thought I knew who you were. I looked it up and I don't, I do know who you are. Did you really meet Jam Jam? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> whoa, like you're fully like back in it. And I think now is the time where I can kind of start to see it come through to the other side where, you know, there's a shift where for a period of time in your life, like survivors, like almost a hundred percent or a good proportion of it, like maybe 90 to 95% while it's airing. And then I'm, I'm starting to see the percentage come down to now, now it's from maybe like five, 10% of daily, everyday life. But still, then you have moments like this where you can come back into the community and be involved in a different way. And I really like that. And that's kind of something that I heard Gabby describe where she can now be involved in the way that ways that she wants to be involved and doesn't have to be involved in the way she doesn't want to be involved and can still be have an enriching experience having it as part of your life, but not fully your life. And I think that I'm starting to see that, you know, happen. Maybe it's more than 10% right now. It's probably more like 30 35%, but it's like, it's definitely coming down. Yeah. You can see the, the unraveling a little bit and why I also wanted to talk with somebody who is that close to, I mean, a year out still, like you've, mm-hmm. you've, it's aired. Another season has now come out. I think there's some, um, like breakage of the shell that happens when the next season comes out Very and then much. that goes right. It, it, it starts to put more space just inevitably, um, for, for some of us, I think it's a space of a bit of jealousy. It's kind of like um, yeah. there's a new, even though you aren't jealous because you just did it, it's like um, there's maybe, I don't have a younger sibling, but I wonder if it's what it feels like having younger oh, yeah. siblings come into the family <laughs> where you're like, oh, I'm not the most important one anymore. Um, but I think the, I, I, I digress a bit, but one of the things I, I thought would be so cool to talk to you about and to remind everybody is, wow reflecting back five years later is muddled and mixed and it's muddled and mixed. There are a ton of things that are just full of joy when mm-hmm. you are in the experience and yeah. when you are having fun. For example, the other night we did this crazy thing on RJP, a Brant steel, like a fake survivor. I don't know how yeah. to explain it, but a, a fake survivor thing. And you were in the same room as yeah. Marianne and to see the two of you together. Um, <laughs> it's got that energy, the same energy that you can see in the recent photo of the newest cast being all curled, cuddled up in a bed together and like just being so close. What does that feel like to um, like be back in the same room with Marianne, like podcasting with her? Is it like being back with yeah. a friend, a family member? What does that Yeah, there's a couple different things to hit on there. The first is I don't know what it is about this experience that makes people think that they can snuggle together because we also did that too. And I thought that was really kind of weird at the time, but it felt it was weird, but it felt so right. We literally have a text group called the Atlanta Snuggle Party. Um, that was the five of us that went to an Atlanta watch party. We were cuddled up in bed watching the 
new episode at the time um, again. Of your, and, of your season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched it the night before, but it's so loud. You don't pick up on everything. So yeah. we watched it again, all cuddled up together. And then I saw them do it. And I was like, whoa, like that's a thing that happens. And I guess it's because you are like, you do see everybody at their worst moments. Like I remember somebody had like, accidentally soiled their own pants and you know that's like something that's very intimate and vulnerable but like you were there with them and you kind of like understand why that would happen and it's like it's not a big deal but you see people at their true best and worst and so i guess that does make sense you know being with marianne um she has this infectious energy and then we um, I'm, I'm the type of person that like feeds off of the energy that I get from somebody so if somebody's very calm i'm not going to be that person that's coming in like really hot and like you know very explosive but if somebody expresses that side of themselves to me it unleashes a part of me that can be very silly and very crazy and very wild as well so that's why i enjoy being like with marianne because i can be like kid like again and so um and but she lives 10 minutes from me so it's like i see her all the time like all the time um, less now because you know she's studying for her uh, mcat i'm studying for my test and um she has a long-term committed partner now so they spend time together but i do see like we only live 10 minutes apart so i'll see her at least uh weekly mm -hmm. and so it's it's nice that we still have that energy that we can feed off of that other people pick up on because i thought oh we're like the old, old boring married couple now uh, like <laughs> platonically of course but like um we've been together for so long and like right after the experience she was here almost all the time we would hang out because we were so close together and um we we played the majority of the game together so I think also watching the new seasons, you know, I thought was going to be really weird, but it's actually been very helpful to have her there too, because then we can watch it together and go through that experience together. I remember thinking that I was going to be super jealous and hate 43 because it was, <laughs> ours was over. And I think there was a degree of that to some extent in the sense that like, oh, you get a little bit of FOMO and it's like, they, they had a 90 minute episode, like that wasn't the premiere. And I was like, I wish we had a 90 minute episode that wasn't the premiere and we got that more. And now there's going to be 90 minute episodes all the time. And so there is a bit of like that, that jealousy there, but it's like, it peters out. And then you realize like, it's, it's almost that same concept of like, um, how you want the better, betterness for the next generation. Right. Mm -hmm, but like sometimes mm -hmm. you get caught up in that mentality of like, oh, well, I had to pay back all my debt. So these kids shouldn't have to pay back their <laughs> debt, but like we shouldn't want future generations to suffer like you did you should want better for them because you want the people before you to wish better for you so i think that there is a bit and then you know once that mentality kicked in it was much easier to watch 44 and um even finishing up 43 was like it wasn't as hard as i thought it was going to be and i still enjoyed it quite a bit and i think that i'm still a huge huge fan of the show but it, it is a little bit different i don't know how to really describe it or put it into words i don't know maybe five years out you can do that a bit better but watching after is different than watching before and I think it's maybe because you know how it's made. So it's a little bit different and um, it's not the same, but it's different and it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just different. And I, I don't really know how to verbalize that. Yeah, I don't know if I can either. I remember. Well, the number one thing is that every every season starts to blend together. I, my most embarrassing moment, um, post playing, there are many, but one of them is I was talking to Owen and ask him if he had ever met Jesse. Like, <laughs> it's harder <laughs> when they're all numbered though, to be fair. Yeah, that is true. The numbers do yeah. change that, but it, it's like, before I played, I could go back and tell you, I mean, and I am not, I believe I'm a survivor 
really big survivor fan. I am not a survivor super fan. Like I've tried to play the Twitch or like the weekly, um, game where you guess the trivia stuff, you know, like right, right, with right, K- right. Jordan Kalish. I can never get any of those right. Like I am just not a super fan in that way, but I loved watching Survivor and I could remember what season everyone and even starting tribes often. And now mm-hmm. after I've played, everyone sort of blends together. One of the things prepping for this call, and I hope this isn't offensive, is I no. was like going through and like tr- remembering, even though we don't talk much game stuff, like remembering who you played with. I had to be yeah. like, oh yeah, he did play with Marianne. Like that was yeah. the same season. So that's something that starts to blend together. Um, I think um, you're just watching for different things once you've played. And it's not just um, because of being, knowing how it's made per se, but it's it's because you are realizing what it feels like to sit there at travel, mm-hmm. for example. Right. Um, right. Then I find myself noticing more eye contact, being able to pay more attention in conversations when you can tell someone's listening and they're on board versus not. I think it's just the intricate details of the experience that are, are brighter. Um, but it, it is hard to explain. I don't think there's anything else like it. I've never been on any other TV show or... Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe it's like if you um, were in a play, like you'd gone to go see a play, then you were in the play in high school musical, and then you go see it again. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know all the words and you know what it says on how when the waitress goes over, she's supposed to throw down the coffee cup instead of pick up the coffee cup. Even though it's not scripted, it's somewhat yeah. of you've lived through it so in- intimately yourself. Yeah. So it feels different. Maybe that's and it. I don't know. It's, it's also, I think part of it too is, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want it to be misconstrued, but it's like, you know, there's so much more to what they show than what's on there. And it's not in a way that's disingenuous, I feel, to the the product that they show, because I do feel it is very accurate. I think that the story of Survivor 42, living it and then watching it on TV, like 95% of it was like very true to what happened. And it was like, it, it told a, a succinct narrative. But I think the thing with Survivor is that it's not a succinct narrative. Like there's so much that happens and you could be planning something for so many days, but because it doesn't end up in the final vote, it's not relevant to the overall storyline. And when you have 42 minutes a week to show something, you can't waste time on stuff that's not, doesn't play out or doesn't um, matter to the end result of the game. So it's like, you know, I remember there was um, when there were seven people left in the game, like there was just so much craziness that happened before the final targets were set. And none of that was shown because it was mm. not relevant to the final product. But it's like, you know, there's more. And now having played, you do, you do have somewhat access to the new players. So it's like it's sometimes more interesting to hear like everything that, that happened that wasn't shown from their perspective because Mm -hmm. it's a more complete storyline i guess but it's not to say that the show is not accurate because that's not true it's just like you don't have live feeds it's like the big brother live feeds versus watching the episode difference to some extent i think the survivor tv product is better no offense but um it's just i think there's something there that's like you know that there's a bit more to the story but i also find that that lessens the further out that i get like watching 44 i didn't have as much of a magnifying glass on as 43 and i imagine that feeling 45 coming up will be even less so so i am falling back in and then when i it's so so weird because now when i go back to old seasons and watch them 
it's I don't feel that way because it's almost like the before times and the after times. Like it still feels (laughs) different to me. It does. It does. It does feel that's so funny. I don't think I've thought about that. But going back to watch some old episodes with my husband, who's now a Survivor fan, uh, the old seasons before I played, you're right. It hasn't changed. Somehow it's still like it's cemented in your memory. It's like watching Kelly Wentworth. It's still the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. Still the whole thing. True. And it also is like, I don't get starstruck by meeting any of the new people anymore that came afterwards. I do get starstruck seeing people that played before 41 um, because it's like, it's almost like they were different people. Like back then you were watching the show and there's these unattainable, like they're different than you because they're there. And then now mm-hmm. you know, you're like, you, I'm like a regular person. And I was there. So everybody's a regular person coming after. Like, it's weird to me. I don't know. That's a really, I love, I love that you've picked out that nugget. That is true. It's like that difference in meeting new. Although I will say that, Omer, it has started to happen again for me because like right after I played, um, then I met people like 38, 39. I went to 39 finale and you're right. I had no feeling of, I was just like, oh yeah, you're one of me. Like, oh, welcome to the crew. Here you are. And then now a little bit like Jesse followed me yesterday yeah. on Instagram and I was like, oh my God, like Jesse are like coming and talking yeah. to you. Like when you, I was nervous to ask you, I guess it's, yeah. it started to feel a little okay. So it's all back again. Circle. I'm not sure if that's how it works for everyone, but. I have been quite starstruck meeting older players. Is there anyone who you've been able to meet who was just like, oh my gosh, who oh, was the I number one? So, so many people, honestly. Like, there's obviously the big names. You know, there's the boss of Rob, the Ethan, the Did you, uh, and you Sandra. Met, and you met, I met them, yeah. Okay. At, um, I met boss of Rob and Ethan at Hearts of Reality last year. And then I met Sandra at a watch party in Chicago. And that was obviously incredible. Um, you know, but even like, not to shade Joe Del Campo, but like even meeting Joe Del Campo, I was like, you're pop, pop Joe, you're constipated Joe. I was like, what is going on? Like, where am I? And so just meeting, like, honestly, anybody, I mean, it's still cool, really cool to meet the new era players because I feel like there is a bond there that just, there's an understanding of the experience that's different from even everybody pre 40. Like the experience is similar, but it's still very, very different. But to meet people from the before times it there's that that like wow factor that's not there for the new people but there's also an understanding and like a shared experience and like almost like a familial like extended familial um feeling to the new school players whereas i don't feel like a part necessarily of the old school players but i'm like really starstruck by them and i like love to talk to them and find out what their experience was like and i remember um it's like so cool to live the fan experience i remember listening to um our our hap recap um with kim and she called me as her winner pick after episode three and i was like i can't believe this and then i gave her an animal that she reminded me of and she didn't like it but she's wrong about that like she's a secretary bird (laughs) and they are amazing animals but just to like live that experience or even like you know being able to like talk to kelly wentworth about her animals and like that is really cool for me and now now like someone like kelly doesn't really feel like um, an unattainable like star like she's just a normal person that i can converse with but it's it's so cool to be able to like meet those people and um share an experience that you can build upon it is and what has it been like for you to have people come up to you like at the vet or out in public what is what has that been like to be recognized 
Um, it's I, I would say it's definitely happening less. Like it occasionally happens now, but you know, at the peak of it, it was happening almost every time I went out. And you know, Survivor's so big in Canada that, and also like I'm not in like Toronto, you know. So Toronto, there's like a million people, two million people that live there. Like it's very hustle bustle. It's like mini New York. Nobody. Well, actually, I did get stopped there, but like it is, it's not as common as like in the smaller towns, especially like or like smaller populations where um, it's more intimate or people have more prolonged conversations with you. And at first, it, it, was, it was it was really cool to it is really cool when people stop you because I was a fan of the show and I remember when I would go through the air. Like I lived in Canada and at the time nobody was on the show there, but when I would go to the states. I would be in the airport and I would always be on the lookout for <laughs> former survivors. And I was like, what well, I'm going to Orlando. Like this person lives here. Maybe I'll see them. Like that's super cool. And so I would always look for that and I never found it. But so if people see me, I know what that that's like, and I'm like happy to chat with them and all of that. Um, and then it's gone from like, people definitely recognize you to like people. Um, one person said that they're like, you're my, um, physiotherapist. And I was like, no, I'm not. But like, <laughs> you know, and that's weird. Cause that's like so, someone, a physiotherapist is like a connection to some extent, but that's kind of a weird to be like mistaken for that. Like mm. they're working very closely with you to make you better. But like, um, you're like, that's not me. <laughs> yeah. Just like, uh, hi. And I was like, she's like, you don't know who I am. I was like, no, I'm so sorry. And then, um, then you realize, then you ask, oh, did you watch this? And then, then that's where it kind of comes out, but it is fun. Like I appreciate that as a fan. So like when people do recognize you, um, as long as I'm not like in the middle of something, it's, it's fine. And at work, it's, it, it happens occasionally at work and it is kind of fun to break up the like normal monotony of work. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but sometimes it's also like, I, I would say it's never bothered me. But it is kind of awkward to switch from like a very serious topic to like something that's lighthearted and then go back to that. But, you know, being in a veterinary setting, you are kind of used to that as well, because you'll go from one room where it's like a beautiful wellness exam. Everyone's so happy to meet their new pet and blah, 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 blah. And then go to a room where somebody has to put down their animal that they've lived with for like 10 years. And so like you do have to very much shift your what you're giving to people in every moment. So I am also used to that, too. So. Yeah, and it does add an additional emotional expectation to have people coming to you and saying, "Oh, hey, I know, I know who you are." Um, I think I I look back. I wish I would have handled it a little better. I think I was. I think I I don't know. I love it now. I don't know that I I was so great at like loving it in the maybe like the first mm-hmm. couple times it was really fun, and uh, then it started to like get a little cold, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah. Then now it's so fun again because it doesn't happen very often. I was just in Newark Airport and I had gotten delayed and canceled. It was like such a miserable trip, and all of a sudden I just hear like, Kellen, like yelling across the airport. I was like, oh my gosh, I know someone here. Um, and I look and they just come over and then they have that look on their face. Like, Oh, I'm so, I can't believe I just did that. Like yelled her name and uh, they were just, they were fans of the show and it was so heartwarming in that moment. I wish I could have kept that feeling the entire time, but I think that's pretty impossible to ask of someone in that first year when it's happening a lot and, and life interruptions. Yeah. And it's also, I think it also, to be fair, happened to me a lot. Um, because sometimes we hang out with Marianne sometimes. So then it's like when there's two, two she, yeah, yeah. he doesn't get recognized 
that much alone. I get recognized not that much alone when we're together. Like it's like something clicks in the minds of people that it's like much more common. And then um, it's, it's kind of a fun experience that we share as well. Like, so kind of reminisce and go back to that. So um, I can definitely understand why it is sometimes very overwhelming for sure. Um, I unfortunately haven't felt that too much. I think the one time that it does come up is when you're in very, very large survivor settings um, and you're like, trying to get to the bathroom but you like literally can't because mm-hmm. every three feet someone will stop you and it's 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 a fine balance though because i do really appreciate it for them and i want to be there completely but sometimes it was like okay i'm a little bit overwhelmed now i need to like take a break go to the bathroom um but that would be the one situation but that's because it's like volume as opposed to the individual interaction yeah. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. I, and, and that's helpful for me too. Thank you for putting that into perspective because I think it was volume um, at the time. I also, you know, had to eat, eat it a little bit a couple times where I thought people one knew who I was and like they, they didn't or, or whatever, right. or somebody came up and introduced themselves and I was like, Oh, do you want a picture? And they said, no. So now I never ask anyone. I feel like I saw these people at the airport the other day and I'm too scarred to be like, oh, would you like a picture? Maybe they did want one because most yeah. a lot of times people would be too shy to ask. Yeah. So I thought yeah. until I asked the one person, they were like, no. And I was like, oh my God, this is the worst you know, thing that's ever quality. happened. That's an admirable quality because I am always afraid. So this actually, I mean, harkens back to the game as well but like well actually for first of all an awkward experience i had with a photo was some one time some one time was with marianne and then the person just wanted a photo with her and i had to take the photo and it was kind of <laughs> awkward but it was also i didn't know if they knew who i was either though like they might not have known but it was a bit awkward and then but then i felt vindicated because the next person we saw because we were at a blue jays game um, which is the the baseball team if people are not familiar but um they were they were like i love your game and then I was like, and she won. And she's like, yeah, but I love your game. And I was like, okay, <laughs> we, both, we both have had that experience in the same night. So that's kind of funny. Okay. So, but I think it's a very admirable quality that you even ask them because, you know, I find in life, I do not want to put myself out there if I know I could fail, you know, like I am, I have to be like almost hundred percent certain before I do something that it will be successful or that it will end the way I want it to before I put myself out there. And I think that sometimes that is, I mean, there's a very protective quality over your own self, but that can also be a harmful quality and you can miss out on opportunities or growth by not having that mentality. So even the little aspect where you can put yourself out there is a quality that will excel and propel you in life. And even in the game, I found that that was something that held me back a little bit because, um, you know, I think that it was very easy to play in the shadows, you know, when nobody knew what I was doing. But the second that I had to be like more overtly aggressive and like put myself out there, I was like, I know the targets on me. Like I'm going to just go for it now. That was hard to do because you don't want to put yourself out there and fail. And I remember there was a very distinct moment where, um, I had told Jonathan had questioned me about if I had told Lindsay about my secret advantage, which was an idle nullifier, which isn't on the show. And she said, or I said, no, I did not. But then I saw him walk up, grab her, run into the woods. 
And I was like, that's not good. He's going to ask her and then she might tell him and then I'm going to be exposed. But what held me back was like, I was like avoidant. And I was like, I go talk to her after and say, what did he talk to you about? If I find out something bad, like I'm going to, I'm putting myself out there for failure. But if I just pretend it didn't happen and hope that it's fine, then it might be okay. And if I had just had that conversation, the whole game would have been different because, and I even thought about it in the moment, but that held me back, you know? And so knowing sometimes your qualities that don't excel you forward or that are your weaknesses, like really knowing those and being aware of them can help you in a game like that. Yeah, and in life as and well. Life, yeah. <laughs> what, what stuck out to me is where you said, like, I'm a person who, if I can't know the outcome, I don't want to try. But I read in your bio that um, getting into veterinary school in Canada is only a three to five percent acceptance rate. So how did you 100 percent know that you were going to get three to five percent acceptance rate? <laughs> okay, so that, that was um, so the three to five percent was um, for like exotic animal residents and stuff like that. But um, the veterinary acceptance rate is probably like 25%. But the thing is, like, I had good grades going into it. I didn't know for sure if I would get in, but I also didn't really, interestingly enough, at that time in my life, know what I wanted to do. And so I felt like a little bit stuck at that point in time. So, you know, you know, I did not know what I wanted to do as a career. I just knew that I wanted to work with animals and that was it. And that was actually something that was not very supported in my household or in my culture like you know they were very much you're very smart you are an academic you need to go be a doctor because you should do that like you it's good and honestly it's like not even to be quite honest about um like the humanity of it i don't think anyway i think it's more about the prestige of being a doctor and like that's what you should do you'll make a lot of money you'll help people even though i don't think that's their primary motivation mm -hmm. but um you know it was very much i was like basically told you need to be a doctor you need to do this you need to do that so for me it was a bit of like a career crisis of i'm being told i need to do this but i really don't want to do it but i had no idea like what career path i wanted to do and i had no confidence in my ability to handle animals because I loved animals. Like I loved them my whole life. You know, it was starting in grade two from my, what I can remember. Like I saw a blue jay in the backyard and I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I want to learn everything about it. I would go to the library and get all these books. And it's so funny because my dad at the time when I was deciding to go to vet school had said, every time I took you to the library to get those books, it was another nail in the coffin. <laughs> I was oh. like, that is so dramatic. Like, get over it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's kind of funny. But, um, you know, I would put everything into like learning about these animals, but I never had any confidence in my own ability to do so. Like we had pet budgies and this sounds so bad now as a veterinarian, but like I was afraid to let them out of their cage. And, you know, sometimes they would escape. And, um, I would be really terrified. Like I was so scared. And then my dad would go catch them. And then he'd be like, see, look, they're just a harmless bird. And I was like, I know, but like, I'm like really scared. And especially that they'll hurt themselves. I don't know what about them, like flying around, like scared me, but I loved them. It was weird. It was a weird thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, then when I got to university, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I started volunteering with this organization called um, Wild Ontario. You can check them out at rwildontario.ca, but they take care of non-releasable birds of prey. And I remember being scared, but I was like, I want to do that. And so I started volunteering with them. And then um, the third training lab was, you know, how do you restrain them safely to do a physical exam 
and to see if there's anything wrong with them because these raptors like they can hurt you like they they don't want to hurt you but they have Mm. weapons to defend themselves if you are doing something that threatens them and so if you're restraining them that's not a natural position for them they're going to want to defend themselves and they have big talons that could like grab you and hurt you or they have a beak that can bite you so it's like how do you do that safely and i remember Mm -hmm. seeing the volunteer like just grab the legs (laughs) with these gloves and like hold this big bird of prey by the legs and then secure the head and and hold it. And I was like, that's insane. I'll never be able to do that. But then I had to do it. And then I realized, wow, I I can do it. And that's really the moment I was like, okay, well, I can do this. And I am interested in animals and they want me to be a doctor, but I could be a doctor for animals. Like maybe that's the career path to take, you know, and then I was wrestling between that and like a zookeeper or a researcher. And, you know, it just seemed like that was, it seems weird because at the time I didn't know what to do fully. I didn't know how to do any of those things because I didn't have a specific role model that was leading me through and supporting that decision per se. Mm -hmm. Like my older sister was the one who was supportive to do whatever I wanted, but she didn't necessarily know those career paths. So um, I was like, well, this is amongst those, oddly enough, going to be a doctor was the easiest like route to take because it was the most similar to what they wanted. And it's something that I still could see myself doing. And now that I've gone through that experience of learning how to safely take care of animals. Um, and part of me, you know, regretted that to some extent of like, I would be really fun to be a zookeeper, but there's like, I'm really happy in my job now. So it's, it is fulfilling, but it is, um, it was a hard choice to go into that, but like I had good grades, like, like academically, I knew I could get in and, mm-hmm. and do that. But so that, I mean, that's the long route to like, yes, I, I felt like I could get into vet school. And so I went and did it, but I didn't go in for dogs and cats. Like I was scared of dogs. <laughs> I didn't like them at all. <laughs> and now I'm not scared of them and I don't hate them. But like, I, I went there specifically to do exotic animals and birds. Like that was why I went to vet school. So for me, the taking the risk to do the three, three, three to 5% to get into a residency for that program was specifically because I didn't want to do anything else. Like if I didn't do that, I would just change careers. Like that was the only option at that point. That was the only option at that point. And when you were applying to Survivor, which is, I don't know, some version of a small percentage chance of getting on, I don't know what the percentage chance is. Um, was your mindset similar in applying to Survivor as applying to this exotic pet program? Like, this is what I want to do, or you didn't know, and it was just a completely different. I think it's um so when I do something again, I still think for the most part I only do things that I know I'll succeed at. And I felt like I could succeed on Survivor, and I feel like I could succeed on getting on Survivor, but at the same time, the stakes weren't exactly the same in the sense that you know, I at first, maybe I wouldn't do anything that I thought I could fail at at all. But then, you know, you start to explore a little more, like even something dumb as going on a roller coaster that I was scared of. I was like, well, you know, you did it and you had fun. So like, and, and through universe, I didn't have a lot of like experiences doing crazy stuff before university. But when I started to go to university, I started to explore that side of like, wow. And that, nothing is super crazy, but like, okay, I'm going to go real, like, on a research trip to Algonquin Park, which is a like a forested pr- protected area in the province to go research. And I've never done that before, but wow, I had a great time doing it. You know, I started to do these other, I went to volunteer the bird program. I'd never done that before. I tried to learn how to ride a bike unsuccessfully, but I tried it. Um, <laughs> and like, I just hadn't done all of these things before. So I was like, 
it, it, it is almost like it, I would push myself to do something that made me uncomfortable because I knew that I could learn from it. So, but I still did that in somewhat a control, like looking back and reflecting, like in a controlled manner, like I'm not going to be judged for having a, or going to a research trip, you know, or if I apply to survivor and I don't get on, like nobody's going to know. You know, so I thought that, you know, I'm getting to the point now and, and even getting on the show, like, I remember very specifically early on, you know, you look at your, the way that I am, I'm not the most athletic person. I am a visible minority and, um, you know, a religious minority as well. And that those are factors that I know play a role in the game with unconscious bias. Like I've known that since I started watching it as a child, I was hyper aware of that. And so I thought to myself, like, you cannot do something in the same way as somebody else can and get away with it. Like if you screw up a puzzle, the magnifying glass will be on you more. And I think that it's not a malicious thing for anybody. I just think it's like, if you look at the way the game is, you start out the game, you have every, especially in the first three to five days, right? Because that's the period of time where you don't really know anybody, but you have so much to lose. And so Mm -hmm. if you have so much to lose and you're looking for some reason to vote somebody out because somebody has to lose. Like if you, if I were to look at another Indian man or another Muslim and say they should go because they screwed up the puzzle, that could easily be me, you know, but it's like, if it's not them, then it's not going to be me. You know, like, I think that's a subconscious thing. That's a protective mechanism. So it's like, if you see somebody that's very different from you screwing something up, well, you know, if they go home because of that, that's not like you're not risking yourself in a subconscious way. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that that is how I feel about it. And mm-hmm. so for like, I know that I'm going to be the only one like me there. I was so shocked to see Swati there as another Indian. I thought I was going to be the only one, but I was still the only one on my tribe. So I was not going to step out and do something that I knew I was going to fail at. And um, even the, tri- the triangle puzzle was like, was on our marooning episode. And that was the best way to introduce the notion that I could do the puzzles and step up and actually do it because I saw how bad the rest of them were at it. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not 13 triangles and Jackson. I'm like, there's like, I'm at 35 right now. Like there's, I, I realized I was the best at that. And so, you know, that was a non pressure way to like realize that I was going to excel in that area. And so that I could put myself out there and I knew I was going to do better than all of them. So then I could, I could, I could actually get in and step into that role. And then Jonathan, at one point, you know, for everything people said about him, like he's a very astute person and he's not given as much credit in terms of like his ability to observe and like, you know, get a feel for the game. But at one point he said to me right after the merge, um, I was, I was like, I can, I think I can paint the flag if you guys want me to, but like, if you want to do it, that's fine. And he's like, as soon as you said that, I knew you were going to do a good job at it because you don't do anything that you're not going to, like, you don't say you can do something when you can't do it. And Mm so I was like, wow, he picked that up. Um, I need to be more careful about what I'm doing here, I guess. <laughs> but like, uh, People are that, watching. Yeah, 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 but that is, I guess that's, um, so yes, I don't, I think I'm getting better at just, and I wish I had in, in hindsight just been like, you know what? I can say, even, even on the show, I was like, I am probably not going to win. You know, I was like, 17 people lose, one person wins. I think that I have a chance to win, but I'm probably not going to win. And that freed me up to not be ashamed of failure. Mm-hmm. But I just like I think I was afraid to be like, I really want to win. I really want to do this. I really want to excel and really want to succeed. 
because then if I say that and then I fail, like, what does that say? You know? So I think that, yeah. but then looking back, it's like, that's not a big deal, you know? So I think that even that's like it in the moment. And yeah. I have a, I have a question for you that you may defer, but you had mentioned a couple times um, that your, what seems to be your true path of where you want to go and your interests have been in conflict with that of your nuclear family and culture and religion at times. Is, is that fair to say? I mean, yeah, I, I, mean, I would say like, I would say maybe not religiously so, but, okay. well, you know, uh, but more culturally. And I would say that um, my the biggest pressures I would say were even an extended family as well. Like my, my parent, both my parents, my mom didn't, she wouldn't, she had an idea of what she wanted me to do, but she wasn't like pushy about it. And she wasn't like the strongest parental figure per se. My dad was pushy about what he wanted, but I didn't really like, (laughs) it sounds so bad to say, but I was like, I don't really care that much what you think in terms of career and stuff like that, just because you didn't really fully have your own career anyway. So it's like, I am, if I'm like, I'm not a failure, if I am a professional vet to you, but like, you know, like my grandparents, like they really wanted me to do something. And, you know, I remember when I got into my vet school, my grandma would be like, I'm telling people in India that you're just a doctor. I'm going to leave it at that. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But like, there was this pressure, but now they're all very supportive, like our understanding and they know that it's okay now. Like I am where I am, but I had to very early step out of what was expected of me to just do what I wanted to do. And that is something that is invaluable because like the happiness that they would get for me to be a vet or for me to be a doctor um versus the like what it would do to me mm-hmm. versus the like the marginal happiness they would get out of that compared to like living a career that you don't want to live versus doing what you want to do and like the marginal unhappiness that they'll get but then they realize it's fine like that that was worth that decision at that time and still is um I, I wonder how <laughs> I, I wonder how much this um, concept and like the way that you've gone through these processes has walked in in parallel to the idea of I can't go off and try to check that mark without making sure I've covered all my bases. Because if I'm going to go outside of this path, I sure as heck better hit a home run. Um, <laughs> so <Yeah>. I wonder <laughs> if that's all kind of coming together. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could definitely, I could definitely see that connection and, um, it all, and even like, yeah, it's even talking to you, I can like learn more about myself and like the, the path that I've taken. Cause that does make a lot of sense. And I think that translates to every other aspect of my life too, where I'm like, I have to succeed if I'm going to do something and, you know, now realizing like, you don't necessarily have to do that. You can still be happy is is freeing in a in a big sense so you know even losing survivor was not that difficult um mm-hmm. i mean partially because i prepared by like being like oh, i don't really like want it that much mm-hmm. well not want it but like mm-hmm. i was like i it's i'm probably gonna lose so if i lose it's fine you know uh-huh. um but in my head i was i was like I have to win. I have to win. I have to win. But and I once you've played out, uh, you and you could taste it, right? Like we all yeah. got a taste of it. Even if you're the first boot, I think you, you get a taste of, I think I could have won. And yeah, so to yeah. just have that experience automatically means there is a, some regret for not having done things in a way that would have ended up on yeah. top. That would have won. And also even just saying it, like, it doesn't matter if I say I wanted to win and I, and I, then I didn't, you know, like, I think that that is, that shows a vulnerability and that shows um, the ability to, 
Um, like I wouldn't judge somebody else for doing that. So why should I be judged for doing that? You know, I think sometimes treating yourself the way you would want others to be treated or that you would treat others is, is, um, something that I need to learn. <laughs> it's we're our own worst critic. And I think I don't want to compare our, our stories, but in the sense of when, when you said, um, with the bird being like, well, if you can't, if you can't get that bird now, I don't know. And that's has stuck with you. Um, my, my parents, um, are farmers at chicken farmers actually. And, um, lots of birds. We have that in common, yeah. a bit, a bit different. Um, yeah. and so I think with my parents, their dreams for me are quite different than the dreams I ended up having for myself. And um, Survivor being one of those things that I think my mom was really scared for me. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't necessarily know what my dad thought. Uh, who knows? Um, but we'll never know. Um, but it's it, it was for me a portion of separation of the expectations. Right. From my childhood, even though I was a 30 year old woman, um, do you feel like playing survivor in some ways transformed your identity within, in your own reflection towards your nuclear family? I think towards my nuclear family. No, I mean, unfortunately my dad passed away before I got on the show. So I never, he never really got to experience that. And he was Mm -hmm. probably the most involved with survivor in that he would like make us whatever, like our special meal for the week and like get all the snacks that we wanted. And then me and my younger sister would watch the show together. And oh, at so first my older sister until she moved on. Yeah. But, um, but it was especially early on, but then by the time, you know, like after season 20, I went to, I was away in uh, university um, and my sister had gone to university. So I wasn't really survivor was more my own thing at that point in time. But before that, like very early on, like, yes, it, it was a little bit part of the family. And so it was very nice to share that experience. And like, I wish that he had been here to like experience that alongside me. But I think that survivor, I think that I had come into my own identity and like, um, knew who I was before survivor. Like I think going through vet school, and the loss of my father was actually like the biggest ways to like learn who I was. And one of my vet school friends told me, and it was actually one of the best compliments I ever received was, you know, you more than anyone know who you are and are like the most genuine yourself of anybody that I know. And I was like, that's a really nice compliment because I always thought that I would, you know, keep more to myself and not really share parts of myself earlier on in life. I was very shy and stuff like that. Um, and I, I was very insecure early on in life. And then so to like kind of come to this place where I was more secure was great. But then um, Survivor, like, so I, I think I already kind of knew who I was going coming out of Survivor. And it brought my family a bit closer, I think, just because um, my older sister, you know, she went back and watched every, every season. was I like, got really into it. My younger sister also caught up on everything. And that's something that we could really share and bring us together. Um, but I think weirdly, like after the show, I wasn't, I think I lost that sense of like who I was again a little bit. And like, it took a while to kind of find that again, but less so because of the show and more so because um, like I experienced like a breakup that was pretty not fun <laughs> um, right before mm-hmm. the show started airing. And then I was like, oh shoot, like now this major show is airing. I can't deal with that at all. And then having to deal with that afterwards, you know, I kind of lost who I was in that process. But, you know, it's been enough time where I've like starting to feel like myself again. So that is, and go back to that person that I used to be. So that is something I'm thankful for. And I think that survivor, it strengthened, strengthened that ability. Do you, do you think that 
going on Survivor. Also, you can raise the white surrender flag here. <laughs> Do you think that going on Survivor was a, a contribution to... Were you dating that person before you went to play? Yeah, so um, she was my first relationship and she... Or so far, only relationship. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But she was... You know, I was with her for seven years. Um, and so, you know, going on Survivor... You know, I think it was a strain and it was a um, catalyst um, towards breaking up. But that I can't say it was because of Survivor. Like, I, but I do think that Survivor was a bit of a catalyst because there was a lot of tension coming up to when the show was airing about, you know, you know, she was Christian and I was Muslim. Um, and that was the biggest reason that we weren't like married by now, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, before that, show, I think that the show showcasing like my faith and stuff like that was going to be very stressful for her Mm -hmm. family and i think that that is something that also you know taught me in hindsight your place in society as a muslim is very like i don't think i fully i think survivor actually most helped me realize my identity as a muslim and an indian and like how that shaped my whole life and i didn't think i really fully realized that until Mm. going through the experience and uh, i know like some annoying people now are like, don't talk about race, don't talk about race, blah, 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 blah. But like, it is an important part of identity and, and social politics and all of that. And I think that I didn't fully recognize all the things that I do because of that until the experience. So what I say, what I mean by that is like, I think as like with everything that happened in 2020 with like George Floyd and all of that, you know, it's very clear, um, not fully, because you can never fully understand until you are in somebody's shoes, like some of the struggles of um, that, that are experienced by Black players on the show. Um, you know, there's been a lot of vocal um, outlets for that lately, which is amazing because we didn't really have that before. A lot of the contestants earlier on in the show didn't get to express themselves because people wouldn't understand or they would judge them or they were the only minority on the cast. And so it was very difficult to be able to talk about that. But now that there's so much more diversity and like there's like um, really horrible world experiences open the door for those conversations, you know, a lot of those voices can speak out. And there's, you know, been some voices in the Latinx community and the Asian community as well. Um, but there aren't a lot of voices like in the Indian or um, Sri Lankan or um, the Brown community or the Muslim community as to what that experience is like. And I think that the experience is very different in the sense that, you know, um, there's there's a lot of dehumanizing um, things that occur, especially to black people in society um, by like the systems in power and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not necessarily the same experience shared by Brown people or Muslim people, but it's a very different form of exclusion. I would say like, um, you know, you are kind of viewed as not there, you know, like it's like you have to just fit in to be there and like be thankful for that and don't speak up, don't say what you need, just kind of be the model citizen that just stays quiet and does what they're supposed to do and doesn't create any waves and doesn't really talk. And because you shouldn't even be here at all, you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, I think that that's more the mentality that it feels like, especially after 9 11, like you don't really want to like advertise who you are because, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions about that. And, um, you know, even looking at Survivor Cook Islands, there's no Indian tribe. You know, there's no, there's no even place for you. And there wasn't an Indian on the show until Karishma in season 39. So like subtly, what does that say? You know, like growing up, you don't see people like you in on the show. You don't see people like you in any show 
it, unless they're like a convenience store owner on the Simpsons and that's it, or they're a terrorist or, um, you know, those are like the roles that you see yourself in on TV mm-hmm. and that's it. And so there's no, you think you don't belong. And so, you know, I remember also at one point, um, hi had said to me, um, he's like, what, did it bother you that they would always sing gospel? And when you were around and I was like, no, it didn't really bother me. And then I thought more about that afterwards. And I was like, well, why, why did that bother me? And I think it's because it's like, I'm supposed to just be there and be okay with everything, you know? And just mm-hmm. like, you shouldn't even be here. So like, if they want to do their thing, that's fine. Like you're just there and don't need to talk about it. And so I realized that, wow, like you really do put yourself kind of second in a lot of ways or just go along to get along kind of thing. Mm-hmm, instead mm-hmm. Of, and you can lose yourself in that process and, and lose what you need or what you want. And that also, you know, translated into a relationship where I would felt like I was the, like kind of the problem because I was the Muslim, you know, like that's the issue and that's mm-hmm. the issue with the other family. And that's, you know, if they see you pray on TV, that's going to be a traumatic thing. And I was like, Oh my gosh. But like, you should also realize that that's means so much to some people out there who don't feel like they're represented and maybe your family's reaction to that is not important in the grand scheme of things. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and then my faith, and then I also realized like my faith shouldn't affect other people's faith, you know, like my faith should not affect your faith or anybody else's ability to feel anyway. Like it shouldn't be threatening to anybody else. And know? therefore and yours that, should not affect mine. Right. Like yes, exactly. it's in, not yeah. between me and you specifically, but yeah. in this world of what you're saying, yeah. I, I realized that, um, that I can do me, you do you. Oh. I will be me. Yeah. And um you're no do worse you, off for that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and just, vice versa. Like that is really how it's, it is. It's not like, causing yes, the the division yeah. causes the harm. The different religions is not yeah. causing harm. And, I think, and you oh, oh sorry. In some ways like um that mentality of being the outsider, like you don't really belong. Like I think the other thing that's the most thing that that people would understand is like the presidential issue, you know, with, with Obama, like when Obama was president, people would be like, he's Muslim. And then people would be like, no, he's not like, no, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no way he's not because a Muslim could never lead this country. You know, like that it's just so ingrained on both sides. One is attacking him for uh, allegedly being a Muslim, which he's not, but like, they're saying that that's a bad thing and you shouldn't be that. And then his camp is being like, no, we're not like, that's, there's no way. Look at my like proof that I'm not like, like that is, then that's just like accepted culture. Nobody. And and people having that conversation with, with anyone, but people who are Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. And nobody once said, why does it matter? You know? And I think that that is, and, and when you don't have that on a very like media systemic societal level, like you don't feel like you belong. And I think that, um, in Do you some feel ways like that, that was happening while you were out there and you were noticing it or not until you watched it back well, think, or the time in between? Maybe you can't pinpoint it. I would say I think that actually um, there's I think there's multiple layers. So I think, you know, what, what I realized in hindsight was that, you know, part of who I am in that way actually helped in the game a little bit in the sense that, you know, if you are um, able to cater to others in Survivor even if you're taking care of yourself, like that can be helpful. You know, if you don't put your needs first and you put other people's needs first, that will help you in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially if 
you can get in room with everybody and do that. But then at the same time, like in real life, sometimes you lose who you are and, and what you really want and what you really need in that way. Um, so I think it's a double-edged sword, but in the game, it can be very helpful. I think that where it came into, I like in the game proper, I think the ways that it maybe came into play were a little bit untangible in the sense that like, I think there was a bunch of very strong, there wasn't a lot of religious diversity on our season. You know, like you had Jonathan, Mariah, Jackson, um, Marianne on my starting tribe, that's four out of six um, that are very devout Christians. They share a bond that I could never be a part of, you know? And so I have to find other things to bond upon. And so like, I, but I knew that going in. So that's how I kind of adapted to that. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, Tori, Romeo, they're also very staunch Christians as well. But like, it's just a bond, but like how much of that not being able to share and that affected the game. I think that that's hard to, to quantify. Um, but at the same time, I was still able to be successful within the game despite that. So for me, like in the game proper, it didn't really make a difference. It's just in the little day-to-day interactions that I realized that kind of coming out of the game of like, oh, you know, the way you act and, and then reflecting upon in my relationship as well. It's like, oh, the way that you act and, and go about your interactions really is influenced by who you are more than you thought it was and in ways that you never thought it was. And I think that um, the way that it maybe came more into play was more the reaction towards me afterwards because people were very hurt by, you know, the betrayals and stuff like that. And I think also like... um there was one point in time, you know, where I, I've talked a lot with Chanel about that. And in hindsight, and like, we're really good friends now. Um, even coming out of the game, we like had more of an understanding about each other than we did before. But like, I don't think she really understood the magnitude of like the fact that, um, you know, there was only one Indian on the show before me. And, mm-hmm. and there was, and there were three Muslims before me that, and we didn't know Nasir at the time that none of them made the merge and none of them did well in the game. And some of them were voted out very first or very early on in their tribes because they didn't have anybody to kind of back them up. And she had no idea about that and like, didn't realize the impact of that. And, you know, I think coming into the game, I was like, I'm not going to have the pressure of representing a community because that can only hurt me in the game. And, you know, I think that she came in with a very different mentality um, of like, you know, being like taking on a burden of society as well. And I was like, I recognize that burden was there, but I was like, I cannot let that influence me because it will only hurt my game. Um, but then, you know, I couldn't, if I'm going to like, let that go for me, I can't look at that for everybody else too, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, putting that into perspective for her was very, um, enlightening and it really allowed us to grow closer after but it's like people just don't know and i can't fault people for not knowing because look at the history of the show there just hasn't been that but so now that we're seeing more of different people and different backgrounds like um it's very good i think in, in helping shape um everybody's expectations and knowledge of each other yeah do you feel like um playing a new era like post diversity initiative um change like if if you had played pre-diversity initiative it would have been a different experience yeah it's a good question and I'm, I'm not to be honest i'm not really sure i mean i think part of me thinks that yes because i when you don't have um when you have so much diversity you really have to rely on things beyond superficialities to find connections with people mm-hmm. and i think that it made more people do that just because they couldn't rely on that because there was so much diversity Whereas I think in, in, in the season before, like, you know, I'm just thinking if I'm out there in South Pacific on coaches, 
um, cult tribe, like, how am I really going to fit in there? Like, I'm not really sure. But at the same time, coming from a background where you have to fit in to, to get along, you know, maybe that would have pushed me to find common ground regardless, and maybe it would have been fine. Uh, so I don't really know, to be quite honest, but I think that it is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, certainly. And I, I talked about this in episode with Wendell um, about the diversity initiative and my belief that it truly has benefited everyone. Um, I, I think from, I think first and foremost, from the viewership experience and changing how the, the show is consumed. Um, and then not to mention the, the survivor, the contestant experience is just huge as well. So thankful for all of that work. And as you talked about, um, being a representation of something and deciding, I don't want to carry that torch specifically, but you did, you were thinking about being an uncle to your <laughs> nieces, yeah. right? And being a role model in that way. What was it like to watch the show back with your nieces? It was honestly, the, the viewing back experience was so fun. And I know that's not always the case for everybody, but you know, um, I, I definitely knew that I did nothing on the show that I would be, and, and honestly, I'm kind of shameless too, right? So it's like, I was like, I don't care if I embarrass myself for the most part, like if, if it's all in good fun, you know, whatever it will be, will be. Um, but I had a good kind of idea of everything that I did out there. And I knew like the worst, I think that's one of the psychology profiles that I had before the show was like, you don't need to know anything that you did wrong because you'll already know it yourself because you are your own toughest critic. And I think that that's true. So like, kind of going through the scenarios. I was like, I know what I did and this is the worst way they could show me. So I'm prepared for that. And so I was fine. So that really freed me to just enjoy the experience watching it back. And, and they loved watching the show back too. And it was so funny because, you know, they didn't show the letters because we didn't get them on the island, but I got mine after. And my, um, my, my, my little niece was like, you might be voted out first for being annoying or whatever, but like, we'll still love you. I was like, that's kind of funny. Um, and so, yeah, it was really fun to watch it back with them and they really enjoyed the show. And my, um, older niece is actually very, she's a very good strategist. Like she always knows, um, her favorite on your season was actually Sebastian. (laughs) Not sure why. (laughs) I mean, I love Sebastian, but I'm surprised that you jumped from, she's a really great strategist to to Sebastian. I would not take that. That's why I was surprised that that was her favorite, but she always like, she, I remember we were watching the episode um where chelsea went home because we were like watching them all in preparation to go out like especially the last 10 seasons we would watch back um in preparation to go out and she was like you know what the girls they need to get together they need to vote it like um laurel needs to turn on dom and wendell right now they need to just pull in donathan and it's done and um i was like yeah i mean that that should happen it should happen i agree (laughs) i agree (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what Helen tried to do, but it didn't work out. So oh, she um, wasn't good yeah. enough of a survivor to get that done. Let's all admit <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't all your fault, I don't think. But <laughs> Even I though there. I like really took um, took Wendell over and over in his episode about like, how did you get them to do that? I still can't let it go. You know, we talk about uh, at the beginning of this, we talk about being in it and then being out of it. And it's just as easy sometimes to to slip right back into that proverbial buff. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I use that term right, but to just slip right into it. 
though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. it sounds like your niece is a, is a big fan of the show and has great opinions on how people <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Maybe um maybe she'll be on someday, but how old is she? She's now 10, but she she oh, quit watching oh, 44. I was picturing someone like 16. How cute she's 10. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's 10 now, but she um she totally she stopped watching 44 because she's afraid of every medical evacuation. And so as soon as she saw oh. Bruce hit on the head, she's like, I'm done. And she like cannot watch every time we we're watching an episode, she'll be like, Is there a medevac? And I'd have to be like, no. And then she's like, but how do you know? And I was like, because I've seen it before. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that season is, you can't even watch any of the previews. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably because she got, uh, she saw the preview of Matthew falling, which still like, oh, it, my jaw is tightening <laughs> yeah, right now. Was... Just seeing that. I mean, if she had to see that once, it would keep children from watching. CBS, yeah. Take that stuff out. Nobody just enjoys take out, take out the rock. Get rid of that rock. Yeah, get that rock out. <laughs> no, that that's a good privacy rock, to be quite honest. It, it is a great it is a uh, You were on that island too, yeah. Yeah. That was the yeah, good that Navidi was, Island. That was Navidi Beach. Um and I then it was our March Beach Malolo. as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, Malolo was windy. Bradley was right. It was windy <laughs> and there were tons of ants. And for some reason, it. it did smell like urine. Like they were not peeing far enough away from camp. So um, <laughs> I have to say that, well, maybe Bradley shouldn't have said those things. Um, he was not lying. He was not there was wrong. also There was a white cat on that island. I never saw it, but I did. Like a oh, feral white cat. Yeah. I, never, I never saw a cat. It was, maybe um, it was a recent thing, though, to be fair. I never saw it either. A new one. Um, yeah, so Navidi Beach is, is definitely... What were those... Be what are the tribe names for you? Um, Taku was on Malolo, and then um, uh, our Merge Beach and Vati was on Navidi's Beach, which is the nicest, most beautiful beach, but it has the least amount of food, so... <laughs> yeah, know. yeah, no, not much food. Um, I went back on vacation because we did get Fiji tickets our season. Um, and so I went back and ended up taking a boat back to the Ooh. island. Um, and I could not believe how much the vegetation had grown um, like in between seasons. And oh, wow. the paths and stuff were overgrown almost. And oh, so much dang. had changed just in, in that time. I'm trying to think about what month. I would have gone. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, those beaches do grow back in between seasons. Oh, impressive. I didn't know that. Yeah. So cool. Uh, it we was kind of crazy. to go back. <laughs> I know. I know. It was, it was a weird thing because 34 did and then 35 didn't and then 36 did, I think. I think. Oh, interesting. And maybe we were one of the last ones. I forget how that went, but super thankful and i'm sorry that you guys don't um i could they could do a little bit better about keeping those things even before coming on and as you were listening to other episodes is there anything where you're like if i get the mic i want people to, to know, know this about um, me uh I, I mean i don't know i think i mean part of i think as well like you know, looking back and reflecting on the experience, especially with identity and stuff like that, like I realized like it shaped things in more ways than I would think because the other underdog, underdog, underbird in, in the veterinary world really is exotic animal care. Because, you know, so much of the resources within the veterinary community, whether it's education, research, 
actual clinical practitioners, most of that focuses on dogs and cats. And there's a small percentage that's like devoted to farm animals, obviously, but that's very a niche thing. But in terms of like pet animals and stuff like that, there's very few people out there that are willing to see a bird, rabbit, guinea pig, um, uh, snake, lizard, turtle, you know. And so those are really the things that are kind of overlooked and not cared for. And so I think that also, you know, thinking back, it's like, oh, maybe I went into that. And that interested me more in terms of like, I want a pet bird. I don't want a pet dog or cat, you know, mm-hmm. is because it is kind of like the overlooked animal, you know, and I feel like we are kind of like the overlooked people. So I think that that is something that is a, has been important to me um, and like really fighting for for their like veterinary care, for their education for them, because it's so poor, even in the vet college that I um, like. Actually, that's that's another thing that happened. Like right before the show started airing, to like a couple months before, right before Forty One started airing, they closed down the exotic animal clinic in um, or the service in our vet college. And I was like, mm-hmm. that's devastating to not only all of the exotic animals and their owners in the province, but it also cuts off education at the base for every graduating veterinarian who will not be exposed to those animals in a clinical setting um, to learn about them and to excel and be able to treat them. So not only are you taking away a service that is one of the only ones in all of Ontario, and they were the only place doing a lot of advanced diagnostics and radiation and stuff like that. Um, They were the only, like that's how we taught students to go out and actually practice on them. And now you've taken that completely away. And I remember like, so mad and it was starting to affect everything in my life like I was just angry all the time about that and like I think it was because also there's this displaced like feeling of oh wow you're really like looking overlooking the this group of animals and like that like is a bit triggering I think and so that was like I could I had to at one point step away from like the petition and all the things that were happening to get it back just because it was like too harmful for me from a mental health perspective but like um I think that that is something that is not advocated for um and i think that i think there's a bit of identity overlap there weirdly that i wasn't aware of and then now i am more aware of it um but i think it's such a shame that that happened (laughs) um because it's really screwing everybody and now when i see a rabbit that has like um uh chest tumor um and needs radiation they can do really well for like two or three years with radiation i don't have anywhere in this province to send it i have to send it to new york and that's like not really fair um Mm. but that's another issue (laughs) yeah and if there are ways that people um who are interested in learning more about the muslim community or to Mm -hmm. be supportive um or what to watch out for in the world how to speak up and what to learn do you have any suggestions yeah i mean i don't I don't think I have any resources per se, but I think that even like listening or knowing anybody and asking them about that experience is always going to be helpful if there's anybody close to you in your life. Um, But I think in general, like, you know, we're all just people too. (laughs) I think that, you know, especially with the media, um, the way it was, I mean, the thing is like, obviously nobody condones the horrible things that have happened at the hands of Muslims or other people in the world, but these are all people as well. And, And unfortunately, every, community, every faith community, every non-faith community, every 
person is unfortunately capable of bad things. And um, I think that if we all try to understand each other better, I mean, I think in general, if we all try to be more understanding and more empathetic and give people the benefit of the doubt more than we do as a society, that we will be more successful at the end of the day. Well, I, what, what I do know is that you are beloved, beloved by the survivor fans and survivor community. And I've, I've told a few people, uh, you know, a few of my closer friends about who I'm going to interview ahead of time. And, um, people were like, Oh my gosh, so excited. Like, um, uh, wanting to play like you wanting to be like you. Um, and, and just really, we're excited to hear from you today. So, um, whatever you did, you did it just right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, shall we move into our rapid round questions? Let's um, do some it. of which is rapid, sometimes not, but we'll we'll go, <laughs> we'll go through. Um, okay, how many times did you apply for Survivor? So I applied to Survivor twice. The first time, you know, I thought I, I remember um, I had been, uh, you know, sometimes I heard advice of like, "Oh, just shoot yourself." for two minutes and that should be good enough, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, at the time, you know, I'm a Muslim, I'm a minority. Canadians were just like, Canadians were just opened up the application process to them. It was, I remember I was actually in um, Atlanta and I was watching David versus, it was the premiere of David versus Goliath, which is right after your season ended. And then they had just announced it that Canadians were allowed to apply. So I was like, great. I pretty much sent in a tape within that month. Um, and looking back, it was like the worst tape ever. And I'm not mm. surprised I didn't get a call because I didn't really know what they were looking for. I thought they'd be like, um, I remember filming with a bird that was, I was at work at like 9 p.m. at night. It had been a really long day. And I just shot me in this bird. And I was like, I hate this job. And I want to get out of here. And I want to go on an adventure uh, and, and go yes. outside my work and quit. Um, and like that was like not the right the age old I want to get out of my current life which is never never a good approach yeah Yeah. and I thought I was like oh I can blindside my work and be like I'm taking off for two months but like that's not what they want at all they want people that are happy in their life that are enriched and this is going to be something that is um, additive to their life but not Mm -hmm. escape and I didn't really Mm. realize that at the time and I unsurprisingly did not hear back the next year I did more of like um, multiple cuts and did more of a funny video and combined, uh, like I had my friend edit it together. So it was not just one, a one shot take. And I didn't hear back from that either, but I was in for about 11 months. And then I was about to submit a third video. I was just trying to plan what to, to do. And then I got this, um, this call from a Los Angeles number and I was at my friend's house, the same one that edited the video. And I was like, this is either going to be survivor or it's going to be an air duct cleaning service and i went upstairs and i took the call secretly and it was survivor and i was like wow and then i felt like i had to redo my video um because there were parts of it that just were not like up on the up energy um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i redid parts of it and submitted again and i just felt like i knew as soon as i got past the initial round where they were like okay we'll interview you um like by zoom or whatever i felt like after that first zoom interview i was like i know i'm gonna be on even though there was like 10 more zoom interviews but um i felt like at that point i knew i was gonna get on um and it's just a feeling that i had i think one thing that helped me was um some of my interviews were very short so i felt like 
if they, and actually you talked about this um, with Dominic, I think, but um, you know, I, I would, I remember I was supposed to schedule for an interview at eight o'clock or something. And then like, it was late and then they got on the call with me and then it was over in like three minutes. And I was like, there's no way that if they didn't want me, that they, if they were unsure, they would have spent longer with me, especially when they're running 30, 40 minutes late, you know, like that doesn't really yeah. make sense to me. So at that point I was like, okay, I'm sure that I'm going and I just need to like be prepared. Um, and then and you I, did all of your casting through COVID. So yours online, was all yeah. virtual. I the experience right? of going in person, which sounds really fun, but. <laughs> there are some really great things and there's some not so great things about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think I did. Um, yeah, that. So when you said that with Dominic, where, you know, your interviews are very short and you're like, this is my time. I was like, I was like, I, re- I relate to that. I remember feeling that way at first, but I'm like, no, wait, that's actually a good thing. And it, and it, and it ended up being a good thing. You were more like Dom. You had it figured out. The shorter, the better. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, so the CBS bios list the three adjectives that contestants get to use to describe themselves. Your three words, which you gave out not too long ago, were silly, empathetic, and shameless. I think you literally used all three of those words in telling stories today. Um, would you choose to change any of these or add, subtract? Um, I think that they are pretty, I mean, I don't know. I find it very hard to describe myself. Um, mm-hmm. but I don't want to be like conceited or not accurate. Uh, I, it's again, putting yourself out there and being wrong, like that sucks. But I think that, you know, I would still agree with those terms, but I do think that when I wrote those, I was also in defense mode because mm-hmm. like, um, you know, I use the word silly. I purposely did not use the word funny or hilarious because I don't want to say that and then not be funny or hilarious to them, you know? So if I'm silly, like you can't really argue that like I'm an idiot, like that's normal. <laughs> um, I would say empathetic would be like true for sure. And then um, shameless. I do think that that is true. So even though I'm like, don't want to put myself out there for failure, I still have come to a place where like, I don't really care. I don't get embarrassed easily. I would say, mm-hmm. I think that that is something and actually weirdly getting voted out. That was one time where I was very embarrassed. I don't know if you felt that way, but I felt like, um, when I got you, my torch, you felt embarrassed, I felt very embarrassed. I was like, did you that, remind me if you were blindsided or if you I was blindsided? Was yeah. Okay. I mean, I think looking back, there were like very obvious clues. And I remember some of those red huh. flags, I would think to myself, that's, that's a little bit weird. But, you know, Marianne at one point had said to me, like, we're going to enjoy us. As she said, on the last day, we're not ordering separately at Ponderosa. We're going to share a pizza. We're going to share some chicken wings. We're going to do all of this mm-hmm. stuff together. And I was thinking in my head, like, firstly, I'm not sharing any of my pizza with you. Mm-hmm. Secondly, um, <laughs> I don't know why you're telling me this right now. Like, this is a very weird out of character mm-hmm. thing to say. Mm-hmm. And it was to make me feel very comfortable. Like, I'll be there on day 26. and when she was blindsiding me and I was like, that's a little bit weird. And I would see Mike and Jonathan having conversations that they shouldn't have been having. And I was like, that's weird, but I didn't want to be paranoid. So I, but I was definitely mm-hmm. blindsided, but like there were clues in hindsight, but being yeah. embarrassed was like the predominant emotion that I felt in that moment. I think my, um, we had such different experiences leading up to it. I knew for three days that I was going to be next. Um, because after Chelsea's vote, like, it was very obvious. And just because of Dom and Wendell just running the game, which is what made it a boring season to some people, I knew it was me. The hardest part for me was I knew it was me for three full survivor days, oh. which is a day off 
a reward day in then tribal, which in new school era, that's a, a bit, I mean, you can imagine it, but you guys don't, do you, do you get any days off? So we did get some occasional days off and they were so boring, <laughs> but sometimes yeah. they were welcome because we're like, we need some time to just chill. Um, yeah. But I, I, yeah, we didn't, we didn't have m- many, I think earlier on there were, but towards the end of the game, it, there there just couldn't have been day. with the time. Like we, we yeah. always went on the three day cycle. So it was just, it was just different. I mean, Sebastian told me it was me. Dom and Wendell told me, it was me, but Sebastian told me straight to, to my face. So, um, I knew, so embarrassment didn't come up for me in that, in that specific moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had been blindsided, I'm sure I would have, I'm yeah. sure I would have felt that way. I wish I knew I was going home so I could like light it up, but <laughs> I, I should have done more than I did but i mean getting the vote to tie you know whatever we could go through it but we won't today sometimes Um, also like in that situation like the more you tighten that it's like that rope the more you tighten it the the tighter it gets and when you're trying i was just trying to be like lighting the match of donathan like which i did get him to vote for dom and all this stuff so there were some things i did but um yeah it was over i i had lost way before those three days so that made it a little bit easier um okay what was the hardest part of the entire survivor experience from the day you submitted your first video to now and what was the best part so far the hardest part i think you know in the game was definitely the um the rain like there was a period of 48 hours where just pummeled rain the whole time and you're so cold and wet and you're getting like um like chafing and rashes and you're so cold and and i've never so everybody said growing up like you shiver to keep warm and i was like i don't even know what that means like i don't understand i've never been in a situation where shivering made me warmer but in that situation like truly if you stop shivering you felt colder and it was oh. it's like nothing i've ever experienced before um and i remember Were you at malolo beach or I was at the VDH at at that point, but, um, you know, it was cold at Malolo when it would rain, but that 48 hours of rain was on the other beach and it was just, it was not, there was nothing that could be relieving to that. Like you just have to sit through it and, and, you know, you don't realize how strong you are until the moments like that, where you just suffer through. And when daylight comes, you're like, it's still raining, but at least daylight now like that's better Mm -hmm. so that was probably the hardest part and then in terms of the best part like there's so many there's too many to name really like the whole experience of the game even in the worst moments was fun and then you know weirdly enough like i did find that watching it back with family and friends and like having that experience with them and like reconnecting with old friends who hadn't talked to in a while like Mm -hmm. that was really fun as well and um and then even after the game has been fun because you can now um share in the community in a way that you never could before like hey oh rabio that came back in when you were able to go on rob as a podcast because you had submitted a question before like i submitted a question before too and like it was like crazy to have that full circle experience awesome i didn't know you were in the pre-question club (laughs) pretty fun if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice on day one of the game what would it be I would, um, I would say I would give myself two pieces of advice and that's okay. But the yes. first, yeah, the first one would be to just, even though I had so much fun, I would say to have more fun because, mm-hmm. you know, during the game, um, I was extremely focused on winning and that was like the primary, especially in my head. I wouldn't necessarily say it out loud, but like, I was mm-hmm. like, always like, I'm 
I, I have a thing to do. I have a job to do. I need to just get this done. And like everything was like moving into the direction of winning. And, and when I was not trying to do something to win, I was just, um, you know, surviving in that moment. But mm-hmm. I wish I had just taken, you know, especially seeing someone like Carolyn and Jam Jam have so much fun on the island, mm-hmm. just take those moments to just like embrace it. Like, you know, we stopped going down to the beach to watch the sunset because we were too tired. But it's like, those are moments that you don't necessarily get back. And you wish you mm-hmm. just had fun with it while you had the chance. And I wish that I would have just had more fun. Um, mm-hmm. I had a lot of fun, but I wish I would have just explained embrace that part of it more being like it's more than just winning it's about the experience too and i think the um other advice i would give is like try to really know yourself as best that you can and know where your pitfalls are because in a state where you're very deprived you are going to default back to who you are and Mm -hmm. if you don't know what the pitfalls of who you are are then you might overlook mistakes that you'll make because you're not aware of them. And I think, again, for me, avoidance was a big thing. Like I, mm-hmm. I could have changed my own fate in the game had I been aware or uh, more cognizant of the fact that I need to overcome the avoidance and like make an active effort, even in your worst moments of tiredness, to just do the thing that's uncomfortable for you. Because mm-hmm. even if you know it's right, like I knew it was the right thing to do and I still didn't do it. You know, mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. is something that I think knowing what your weaknesses are is very important. Mm-hmm. Good ones. Good ones. Um, when you, you alluded to this earlier, but maybe just, you know, like the definitive yes or no. When you started on the mat on day one, did you think you could win? So I did think that I could win. on day one for sure but i didn't think i would win i think there's a distinction there because it's just like you know i think if you look at it is there um you know 18 people is that like 5.3 percent or something like that for Mm -hmm. equitable win um i think that i probably had more than the equitable win percentage but i still that still is less likely to win than not you know what i mean like here we are on episode 10 (laughs) of the show and i should have been asking the question differently did you think you could win and did you think you would win it's actually now we need four b and four c yeah yeah (laughs) to get to the bottom of this because the difference is so true it's it's tangibly true that there's a difference there yeah so i thought there was a, a decent chance that i could win um but i didn't think that i would just because there's so much luck and everything involved as well and it's like also i didn't know if i could live up to the elements and physicality of the challenges or if i would be a horrible disaster like i wasn't fully sure at that moment the moment that i knew i would be okay and would go far and whether i won or not was by the end of day one when i realized i like really connected with the people in my tribe mm-hmm. and then the moment that i thought i would win was when there were seven people left in the game and then I left at six. So <laughs> maybe the key is not thinking you would. <laughs> Other than Survivor, what's your favorite reality TV show? Definitely the mole. Um, mm-hmm. And the Anderson mm-hmm. Cooper mole is like superior. You to and Adam else. Klein had the same, had the same one. So yeah. Yeah. Um, people love that show. Where's your favorite place in the world that listeners could visit? I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not very well traveled. I've only been to like outside of Canada and the United States. I've only been to Belize and um, Fiji, but I thought Belize was amazing in terms of where I really want to go. Probably Australia and Africa would be the number one and two. What is a book you've read that has changed your life? (laughs) Okay. So I don't, I feel like everyone's like, 
don't ask me if I read a book. I feel <laughs> I unfortunately haven't voluntarily read like a nonfiction book or sorry, a fiction book since like grade seven or six. Um, I just, I'm not a reader per se. Um, I, okay. I read so many textbooks and journal articles that I prefer not to read in my free time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I would say the book that changed my life is probably like Avian Medicine and Surgery because <laughs> I apply that every day in life. Wait, Avian Medicine and Surgery? Yes. Okay, good. We'll is... see if we can link that in the show notes for anyone. <laughs> that's what I do every day. So that changed my life every day. I bet it but... did. I bet it did. Yeah. Um, that's great. What is your favorite podcast? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you have uh, a Rob favorite? Rob has a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I listen to Rob as a podcast. Um, I and, and now that I have such a long commute to work, it's like easy to keep up on the content. So nice. Hey, that's a feat. And I, I really <laughs> also like um, the Dateline NBC podcast. Because uh, I like true crime. Oh, yes. So many people do. Um, <laughs> I'm a scaredy cat. I can't get into that. But <laughs> yours is the Dateline NBC. Yeah, Dateline NBC. <laughs> I mean, it's just basically like the show that airs on Friday night, but in audio form. And because I don't want to watch two hours on a Friday night, I can just listen to it on the, the car ride. There you go. So life solution, life hack. Um, yeah. What song, when you're not listening to Murder, what song <laughs> are you listening to on your, on your car ride? Um, I guess right now, I mean, I don't know. I'm not like, I, I don't like listen to necessarily one song over and over again, but I would say that, you know, and it changes from time to time. I would say right now I'm like loving the um, Power Rangers, original Power Rangers soundtrack because it's like, it's like motivating for me. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to win. To get it today, you know. Um, okay, so where can people find you? Do you have any projects you're working on? You want people to know about uh, social media, where they should find you? You have, you have quite the quite the following. These new school people <laughs> are are are. I assume it's all survivor followers. Maybe you had yeah, a big most, vet following no, I before. I did not have. I did not have a following before. <laughs> um, I would say that uh, you can follow me on Instagram at ozahir 24 Twitter, which is also threads, I guess. And then Twitter at um, omerzahirdbm. Um, I am studying a lot late, more recently, so I'm probably less active online because I have an exam coming up. But um, yeah, that's where I am if you need to reach me. Great. And if people, do you have a organization that you like people to donate to who are interested in, in exotic animal? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the, the organization that changed my life the most was probably Wild Ontario because it was that experience that really shaped the career that I ended up going down the path of. Um, mm-hmm. And so um, our wildontario.ca is, you know, they're a non-profit um, like um, organization that helps out um, non-releasable birds of prey and uses them to educate the public on the human impact on wildlife and why you know all of those birds are in captivity because of something people did and they can't be released into the wild so how can we educate people to prevent that from happening to other birds in the future and they do great work in terms of that um and you know the coordinator she works her butt off (laughs) to try to like Mm -hmm. keep the program afloat because you know it's not like they have a steady income per se but they go around to different places and so that can obviously help a little bit 
So if you feel called, throw five bucks to ourwildontario.ca mm-hmm. uh, in the name of this show and Omer and the great work that you're doing awesome. to, to save the animal. I love following you on social. I never get your animal questions right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm like hoping so many people answer you can't see because I'm a little bit nervous and embarrassed to answer the quiz question, but I'm so, I so badly want to know, you I know. Always so, check. I always check uh, and Chanel always gets them wrong. Sammy always gets them right, but Sammy did admit to me that he looks it up and then answers it. And um, Lindsay Carmine has a very high percentage of correctness, and actually so does Sarah Wake. So those are the the best ones at it, and one of them's a cheater. (laughs) And and that's the dirt for the... I'm just over here answering them all wrong, but I wasn't cheating at least, so it could be worse. Well, thank you for all the content. I love seeing all the animals that you're taking care of. And they all mostly seem to love you when you're not poking and prodding them all too much. So um, thank you so much for being here with me today. I know how vulnerable and all-encompassing and just crazy it is to come and do these things when you're that close to playing. I really appreciate you trusting me with your story and your time today. It means a lot. And I think it's going to give the listeners a different perspective to hear from somebody who's in your seat. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. And a big fan of Navidi Strong. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I've got my purple mic here. And throw in my gut. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Omer. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Here we are. We've come to the end of the Road to Reality season one. Thanks to Omer for his willingness to come out on the show so fresh out of it. I wonder if you as listeners noticed any differences throughout the season on how people responded to the interaction between their lives and their reality lives, depending on how far out of the experience they were. When I mentioned this idea of road to reality to Rob Sesternino many months ago, this idea felt like a glimmer in my heart. I knew the Survivor Castaway list was full of wonderful people with incredible stories, but each guest absolutely blew me away beyond my expectations. Their willingness to share was vulnerable and made this season so spectacular. I felt grateful each week getting to learn from each castaway. First from Chrissy about how we need to embrace each day with gratitude. From Dom in episode two, how getting to know someone who from the cover seems not to be someone you'd get along with. When you spend time actually getting to read many chapters inside the book What you find in those pages may just be the makings of a lifelong best friendship. In episode three, my Survivor fangirl dreams came true, getting to hang out with the Kelly Wentworth, who reminded me we are all someone's fangirl. Adam Klein in episode four took me on a conversation that was a transformative experience for me. His impeccable words, storytelling ability, and tenderness towards other people is something I want to work on every single day. And then we had PG giving us the five rules of a happy life and explaining how if we just take a moment to look around, we get to choose whether we see joy or misery. Gabby explained the intricacies of the psychological dynamics of being on Survivor and taught me about parasocial relationships my favorite new vocab word from this entire series. Davy's energy and zest for life 
his persistence and willingness to capital P-L-A-Y play in this world as an adult. It's infectious. In episode eight, I got to hang with the winner of my season and pick his brain on how he just completely kicked my ass in Fiji. And the fact that he does this with so much patience and grace shows exactly why Wendell was a sole survivor. I'm lucky to know him. Then we traveled a long way to South Africa to gain a whole new perspective on Survivor with Dino Paolo. And he reminded us all exactly why we are all here. Because we truly love this game called Survivor so much. And the community we all have because of it is large, warm, and worldwide. Then we completed today with Omer, the new school representative of season one of Road to Reality, who reminded us that Survivor really, every time, shows us exactly who we are. And who we all are, former contestants, future contestants, loyal fans, is a bunch of adventurous people with full lives, bad days and good days, heartaches, joys, trials, hopes, and dreams. And when we take just a little extra time to get to know one another beyond an edit on a television screen or a Reddit post or a Twitter feed, we're all humans with more in common than not. Thank you all for joining me on this road to reality. I hope to see you all along the journey again sometime very soon. Thank you again from the bottom of my heart for making my survivor dreams continue to come true. I'd like to thank Rob Sesternino, Scott St. Pierre, and the entire RHAP crew for helping make this dream come true. Jillian Goodhart is the editor. Tricky Rice, thank you for the artwork. To all my guests, thank you for your time, honesty, bravery, and vulnerability. I'm thankful from the bottom of my heart. Thank you to my dear friend from Survivor Ghost Island, Jacob Derwin, for allowing us to use his song, Mirror from Manhattan. One of my favorite songs of all time and one I played on repeat for an entire year while I recovered from my own survivor journey. To you, the listeners who have made it this far, thank you for giving me and these multifaceted guests time in your ears as our whole selves. May each of your realities lead you down a road of peace, joy, community, and a whole lot of adventure. And now here's Jacob Derwin with Mira from Manhattan. Mira from Manhattan Her name is Chelsea from Chelsea Her name is Krista from Columbus It doesn't matter much to me Now she's staring out the window She's turning on the night takes a pen to her new novel and the airplane takes flight mm, I never knew mm, I never knew mm, I never knew mm, I never knew
flying out to Dublin Just to stop along the trail Mira hops from there to Paris I ride to Belfast on the rail Now she's cheering in the winery I'm staring at the sea Her name is Mira from Manhattan It doesn't matter much to me mm, I never knew mm, I never knew I never knew I never knew You You making a podcast. Can you even believe it? I can't.